So last time we talked about the righteousness, the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us. And uh, I was uh, telling you how this is so seriously misinterpreted uh, by many Christians. They think that it's saying uh, that uh, uh, we could not keep the law. And so Jesus came to forgive us of our sins for having broken the law and then uh, gives us the power of his Holy Spirit so as so that we can fulfill the law. Is that the meaning that Paul is intending? Not at all. What we need to understand is the large backdrop that Paul, first of all, that is, uh, is talking in. Uh, remember that he has said that the law brings us a consciousness of sin and uh, that the law actually stimulates sin. That's, a, uh, that's Romans three twenty and 21 and Romans 7, verse 5. And therefore we need to die to the law or be delivered from the law, he says in chapter 7. Well, if we are to be de- delivered from the law, you can hardly think that he's saying then that we uh, get a new... Uh, power to obey the the law in excuse me in Romans chapter 8 Paul says in Galatians that if uh, righteousness comes by the law then Christ has died in vain so we can't uh, speak of uh, being delivered from the law in chapter 7 and then suddenly being brought back under the law and in harmony with the law in chapter 8 But that's uh, the general background. Look at the specific verse itself. First of all, let's get the picture. Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 2, 3, 4. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, that is, on account of sin, uh, substituting uh, his life for ours as a a, um, judgment against sin, he condemned sin in the flesh by uh, uh, by his own sacrifice of himself on the cross. You see, that is how he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us Now, here's the clue, the biggest uh, indicator. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, what is it to walk according to the flesh? To walk according to the flesh is to do exactly what Paul was talking about in chapter 7, and that is to respond to the law as if we were under it, under its judgment and its demands. Remember what he says in verse uh, uh, chapter 7, verse uh, th- 11 um, and uh, 13. Verse 11, For sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. That is sin, being personified there, uh, representing Satan, takes opportunity of the commandment. In other words, uses the commandment to condemn me and make me feel uh, in despair about my relationship with God. That's what uh, Satan does with the law, deceives me by it, and, and thus kills me. That is, psychologically devastates me, overwhelms me, kills my spirit. 
So you can't... So that is, you see, walking according to the flesh. Walking according to the flesh is not only being a worldling and uh, simply fulfilling all the lusts of of our body and mind, uh, as the world does, but walking according to the flesh is a religious thing also that many people do or try to do um, in order to be righteous before God. They try to present their works of the law. That is what Paul is meaning by the flesh here. And so we are called upon not to walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, what is walking according to the Spirit? Look at verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 1 again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. To live according to the Spirit, then, is to have faith in Jesus that the judgment against me by the law has been removed and that I am accounted as righteous in Christ, and that I am by faith living in his resurrection, his resurrected life that operates for me through the Holy Spirit. To live according to the Spirit is not to have some super-spiritual, beyond-human uh, exp- spiritual experience, like a supernatural experience. It's not to live in some cave or other or distant mountaintop to avoid all the uh, clamors of the world. It is not to isolate yourself from humanity to be, to be a super-spiritual Christian. To live according to the Spirit is to recognize that Jesus Christ has taken my lot on the cross and that his resurrection is on my behalf so that by faith in him I am accounted in his righteousness and his resurrection and therefore I follow him by faith in him. To put it uh, in another way, To live according to the Spirit is to be freed from the powers of wrath, sin, law, and death that are described in chapters 5, 6, 7, and 8. Remember, chapter 5 of Romans is freedom from the judgment of God, from the wrath of God, so that we are reconciled to God's heart. Chapter 6 is freedom from the identity and judgment of sin, because Christ has died for us on the cross— and taken that judgment. Chapter 7 is freed from the law because Christ has become our righteousness in which there is no condemnation of the law. And to be fr- and chapter 8 is freed from the power of death because Christ rose from the dead and shares his resurrecting, resurrecting power with us so that we are not under the power of death. Those four powers are what it is, uh, describe what it is to live in the Spirit. Wrath, sin, law and death removed so that we are reconciled, chapter 5, counted innocent, uh, chapter 6, no longer identified as sinners, uh, counted as righteous, chapter 7, counted as resurrected, chapter 8. Do you see, then, that Paul um, defines himself? You don't have to go out of the book of Romans to figure out what Paul is saying. You 
carefully read verse by verse, line by line, and you see what he is saying. So then the righteous requirement of the law is not some power that enables us finally to keep the law because to follow after the law excites sin and lust and brings us back under condemnation. The righteous requirement of the law is living by faith in Jesus Christ. That is what the law has always pointed to. The law has never been meant to make us righteous. Again, I remind you of chapter 3 of Romans, verse 20 and 21, where Paul says, the law makes us conscious of sin. The law makes us aware of sin. And also 7 verse 5, where the law stimulates, actually stimulates sin. This is Paul at his best, taking us back into the Old Testament and giving us a re-evaluation of the history of God's actions in the world. Why did God give the law in the first place? Was it to make Israel holy? No, it was not. It certainly was meant to separate them, to separate them, to set them apart from the nations of the world. Yes, that's for sure. But did it make them holy? No. Why do we know? Well, the history of Israel very clearly shows that they were not made holy by the law. But also, it is evident that the law was not meant to make them holy because they were given the morning and evening sacrifices. Every day, animals were sacrificed in the morning and in the evening for Israel's atonement. Why would they need those morning and evening sacrifices if the law was to make them holy? The law could not make them holy. It only reminded them of sin. Now, what, and thus they needed the atoning sacrifices. It reminded them of sin so that they would put trust in the sacrifice that God brought for them. Now, why is all this important to you and me? Is this simply a doctrine that we want to get clear in our heads? Or is there something much more profound to it? Well, of course there is. You and I are plagued with guilt and shame and fear in this world. It's not unique to Christians. Even non-Christians know guilt and shame and fear, but they hide from it throughout their lives by the addictions they may follow or by the busyness of life that they engage in or by other forms of denial. And so the, the mind, whether it's the religious mind, the Christian mind, or the worldly, uh, unbelieving mind, is plagued with guilt and shame and fear. And if we then become Christian, or at least become religious and don't really realize what the gospel is all about, then we will be more conscious than ever of this guilt and fear and shame, because we will be aware that we're not adequate and not suitable uh, for the Christian life. And what will we do? Well, we will go into a neurotic, what I call a religious neurosis, in which we try to become approved by God by our works. All the religions of the world attempt this. The, the true Christian gospel is the only religion, I'll say it in quotes, because I don't look upon faith in Christ as a religion, but 
the religions of the world try to make themselves approved before God. The religions of the world are man's reach upwards to God. How can I be acceptable to God? How can I be approved by God? I will do this. I will do that. I will go into a monastery. I will go up into the hills and meditate. I will deny the world. I will live uh, on bread and water, as it were. All of these attempts to be religious in order to be approved by God and to have fellowship with him. But the gospel is not that. The gospel is God's reach down to man. Worldly religions are man's reach upward to God. The gospel is God's reach downward to man, to save him, to rescue him, to throw him a lifeline in order to pull him out of the river of of, uh, disaster and death and sin. And so, you see, if we don't understand the gospel, we will and we and and if we don't understand the purpose of the law which is not to make us righteous but to reveal our sin so that we flee to Jesus Christ we will be forever working to save ourselves and in the impact of that we will be religious neurotics it is a tragedy that many millions of christians are very neurotic christians because they have found religious christianity but not the atonement of Christ. Let's look to Christ and his work for us on the cross and resurrection in which we can have all trust that we need. Thanks for listening today. This is Colin Cook. You can hear this program on the radio at K- on KLTT AM 670 in the Denver and Colorado and surrounding states areas at 10 o'clock in the evening, repeated at 4 in the morning. You can also hear the program on your smartphone. Simply download a free app, soundcloud.com or podbean.com, and key in how it happens with Colin Cook when you get there. And would you consider a donation for this ministry? Faith Quest Perspectives that puts on the radio broadcast. Send uh, you can go online to make your donation at faithquestradio.com. That's faithquestradio.com. Thanks for all your support, your lovely notes. I do appreciate them, and I'll see you next time. Cheerio and God bless. <music>